This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. My guest is no other than Martin of Tech Alter. Hi, Martin. How are you? Hey, Miriam. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Fantastic. So we are going to talk about the big news of the week and a bunch of other news. I want to talk about the Galaxy Fold. I do not have one. I want to be upfront with everyone. But what I love about your videos, Martin, is that you have really insightful views of the mobile tech world. And I agree with a lot of what you say. So I would really love to hear what you have to say about the Fold. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the Fold, to be honest. I don't have one either. Um, but I've, I, I think from the two major foldable designs that we've seen this year so far, uh, I think I prefer the fold design. Uh, I made a whole video about this. Uh, I think um, the way the screen is on the inside, it kind of protects the screen from, the, from scratches, which I think will be important if you're going to have a $2,000 or even more expensive device uh, in your pocket all the time. Uh, and I also feel like the crease on the fold, um, it, it's hard to explain this, but it, it seems to go into the device or into the screen rather than coming out of it, like on the Huawei. So yeah. in, in general, I feel like uh, from a usability perspective, I'm much less worried about the screen than I am about the Huawei one. And, uh, okay, I'm, yeah, that makes I'm, sense. I'm really surprised by how positive the... The feedback has been so far from all the people who've actually played played with it. Uh, I I feel like when we were at MWC, the the consensus was pretty clearly that the the Huawei yeah. device won the show, and and Samsung uh, is basically behind. But now that people have started playing with the Fold, I I basically only hear from people that everyone is surprised by how polished and uh, well put together this this phone is. You know, that's been my thoughts too. I, I feel though that I want to add a little bit to that. The first thing I want to say is that I agree with you that protecting the screen is a good idea, but I still think that the Huawei design is a better design. I like the idea. I feel that the, I still feel the Samsung design is frumpy and and awkward in so far that it has that outside screen with massive bezels. That's a really small screen. And I mean, it's very functional. I think there is nothing wrong with that. I just feel that it's a much, you know, more sexy and polished design idea. Whether it can be executed properly is a whole different thing. The the mate the mate X, right? And I feel like I think for me it's it's the idea that like here's an example of something we haven't seen the Samsung phone do. To me, that should be an absolutely uh, an, an an option. Is if you have the phone open, right? The only the big display inside is on right now, right? What if you flipped it over and you could use the the main cameras in the back for selfies with the front display yeah there's no mode to do that they instead added another front camera to the little display and they of course have a front camera a dual front camera for the uh, the big display inside to me it's a waste of cameras all they had to do was why can't you let me let have the let's have the 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 cameras in the with the big display and that notch if you have to so that people can do video conferencing on the big screen I got that but for selfies why don't you make it so that people can flip a mode where the little 4.6 inch display becomes your viewfinder and you can use that beautiful 12 megapixel 
sensor as your main camera. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the uh, there are definitely downsides to both designs, and uh, without a doubt, the Huawei one just looks more sexy. Uh, so uh, I think that's that's true, uh, and I I also agree that Samsung probably used a, uh, a little too many cameras on this one device. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I still feel that like the main feature of this device is the foldable screen. And with the Huawei, I think from a practical standpoint, I would be worried that the, that the screen wouldn't hold up uh, over time. And if it doesn't, then what's the point of having the device? Yeah, no, I, I think this is going to be the big, the big question mark with them. them. I and think we, we just Huawei don't know. So this is, I'm, yeah. this is just me it, guessing. We but, just uh, don't know. And and Huawei, I'm sure, could execute on the software. So I want to talk about the, the polish of the software. It looks really polished in all these videos. And But I, I'll, before we jump in that, I just have one more thing to say about the Fold and the Mate. So to me, the Mate X, I think, is still the better design. But you're right. In terms of durability, it's a lot of questions. What I like about it is this idea of like not use, you know, using the rear cameras in an efficient way uh, for selfies. And I like the idea that when you have it folded up, the Mate X looks like a regular phone, like a full screen regular phone. Yeah. That you're not, in, in one-handed use, you're not sacrificing real estate. So at the same time, I haven't played with the folder, sorry, the fold, but I feel like from the videos I'm seeing, that narrowness when it's closed with that four, little small display is probably going to make it even easier to use one-handed. So, you know, it's it's because use one hand is going to be a big use case. You you use use your phone one handed all the time, and you also do use your phone two handed all the time. So I I think in, to me the way I see myself using the Galaxy Fold is one handed with that small display, and it's very narrow and and chunky, so you won't drop it. And then you know you open it up and you hold it with two hands and you thumb type or whatever, and you have this great real estate. I I, I am also very excited now that I'm seeing it uh, at least through video. Uh, in the hands of people I trust, people that um, I know um, are technology lovers and are probably in the honeymoon phase right now, but I saw also people that I know can be very critical. Yeah. Um, as an aside, I want to say that I'm not happy with Samsung for not inviting me, and I'm not happy because they also didn't <laughs> invite some really big publications. They did not invite people like uh, Android Authority, Android Police, um, Slash Gear, um, I'm, you know, this is what I've established from looking at their sites. I mean, they would have coverage by now if they had one. And it tells me that they were very selective. So that the goal here to me with this Samsung uh, early hands-on and giving reviewness to the media, to very select media. And by the way, they gave more devices to YouTubers than they did to actually tech blogs and papers, if you look. Yeah. Um, is that they wanted to kind of address the crease because it's there. But they wanted people to understand it wasn't a big deal. And I think they've achieved that. And they wanted people to be able to uh, understand that the, you, the software experience is, is going to be a good experience. And I think that's also come through and we're about to talk about that. But it's interesting to me how, from a marketing PR perspective, they approach this. Uh, there's a lot of upset people right now, from what I gather, that uh, especially in these bigger publications that don't seem to have received a device. I feel that it's a it's a missed opportunity because I feel that if the device was really that good, we should all be able to try it out. And there would be, you know, and, and why seed so few of them? Some people have suggested that maybe they don't have a lot to go around. But here's the thing. If you look at uh, good, our good friend Lewis at Unbox Therapy, he had two devices of each color. Mm -hmm. So they have the devices, even though they probably didn't leave them with him. Um, 
You know, I just find it odd how they approach the media about this. It it felt very exclusive and elitist like Apple does. It felt like Samsung is doing the Apple playbook. And I don't really think Samsung is in a position to play the Apple playbook on PR and marketing. Your thoughts on that? Um, well, to be honest, I don't get most phones and I don't get invitation to most launch events lately because I've kind of stopped uh, covering devices in the classical sense. So I don't really do typical reviews or hands-on videos. Uh, Plus, I also tend to be a little more critical of brands than I think (laughs) most Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tech media that I know. But there is, you know, there's definitely something to be said there. They did pick, I think, by picking a lot of YouTubers, YouTubers tend to just be factually, here it is, judge for yourself. Yeah. You know, here's some porn, basically. And no offense to them. I love these guys. I mean, I love the porn. You know, it's such high quality content, so well filmed. I love it. And I think that's smart. But it's interesting that they did not cede it to things like, like you know, Android Police is very critical. and But I think it would be important to have their, their perspective, right? So, yeah, yeah I, I hear you on that. I, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, could, I could have theories about it, but I, I don't really know. Maybe they had not enough devices. Uh, maybe they, they did want to have publications that are very visual because this is, I guess, a very visual product. So they wanted to make sure that, you know, seeing that click uh, when you fold and unfold the device yeah, uh, a yeah, million yeah, times, definitely. when you see that, you go like, yes, I definitely want that phone because that's how I'm feeling right now. Um, but I'm definitely feeling a lot more beat about the Galaxy Fold than I did when I initially saw it. Yeah, now that yeah, I've seen same, it in the hands same. of people in use. And uh, and that's also kind of why I think I'm a little bummed that, uh, you know, some of, so that we weren't included. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to get our hands on one at some point. It might take a little while. Um, I'm actually thinking of buying one on launch day and probably returning it at some point because mm-hmm. I can't really afford to spend $2,000, but, um, I'll let you know what, how it works out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't really do that much device coverage lately, so I'm not surprised if any company doesn't want to send me a phone because I'm probably not going to give them a review, but, um, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm know, really I'm really excited about the, the the this device. I I didn't think I would be really excited about it beyond just, you know, the 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 novelty, but I'm I'm actually surprisingly uh And I feel the it. same way. But I think you're kind of underselling yourself, I think, Martin. Even though you don't review devices uh in the pure review sense of them and you don't show them on on YouTube as much as like say, you know, uh Marques would, right? Mm. I feel that you have a very unique take on the on the mobile industry which is why i have you on the show today and i think that your opinions would be very valuable to these companies um and so i i think you're on you're short selling yourself i think a little bit saying that well of course i don't get devices because i don't do the traditional views i think i think you're bringing some really good <laughs> you know content to the table and i don't think it should preclude you from, from getting the, the devices because obviously to form your opinions you need to have the devices so yeah. i don't know I, I, you know, personally, if I was doing PR for a phone company, I would definitely hit you up because I, well, I want to hear what you have to say. Because I think so you, all the PR... you kind of do a lot of like consulting without getting paid, as, <laughs> if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So all the PR people who are listening, listen to, listen to Miriam now. There you send go. Send me all I of mean, your phones. <laughs> exactly. Send, send Martin everything. Exactly. Um, so the software, what do you think of that experience? It looks, I was very impressed on the seamlessness of transition on the apps that are that are ready for this whatever they do they, what do they call that feature continuity no that's microsoft or, i don't know i also don't know but i you I know what, what i'm you, saying yeah. right the the thing that yeah, the some apps from one to the other ready exactly yeah. when you have them in the front screen you open it up 
and it opens like it just it's the same app just bigger and, yeah. and it's really seamless i was really impressed by that yeah what what i think what what this is exciting for like beyond like i, I think i think if you have this this uh, capability built into the the os and into the apps this enables the concept of you know multi screen devices so you can have a small screen you can have a bigger screen when you unfold but this also enables things like you know a desktop experience or a proper tablet experience and i think this is um something that android has been lagging behind quite a lot uh i think the concept of you know android on tablets has been pretty bad um oh it's and, always been terrible yeah and uh and companies like huawei and and uh, samsung are trying to push uh, this uh, DeX and uh, you know this desktop style computing um, paradigm, and I think if if Android figures out how to display the same app, uh, and if app makers figure out how to display the same app on different screen sizes and do it well, I think that would be hugely beneficial for the ecosystem going forward, not just for foldable. No, I absolutely agree, and and I feel that I've always felt that yes, you need you know having a custom tablet experience is important in the sense that like you need to maximize the real estate and the user and the user interface differences but i feel that with a device like that it's very much like the surface right it blurs the lines and so there's a better opportunity to have apps naturally grow into the form factor you know what i'm saying yeah. um in the same way as uh you know i think some some apps on on windows 10 um are pretty good at scaling between the two kind of modes yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's maybe it is still a compromise, but I feel that if there is any future for quote unquote tablet computing on Android, this is the way to go. Like, this is what's going to make it happen. It's going to force com like software developers to address the fact that, you know, every major company has a flagship that's a folding phone. Yeah. And now we need, we need Twitter, which is one of the apps that's not supported right now for the scaling. Uh, we need Twitter to work properly in that display. Um, it does right now, only if you start it on the big display. But if you start on a small display and you switch, you you get kind of like cinema bars on the side of it. Um, you, there's a bunch of videos out there that show that. But yeah, yeah. I, I look, I am way more excited about the Fold than I was. And it feels to me like you too, right? So Yeah, totally. I'm, I didn't think I would be pumped, but I'm pumped. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually thinking, I said, of buying one on launch day here in the U.S. on the 26th of April, probably from T-Mobile, who is my local, uh, well, not local, they're national, but my, my operator, and uh, and uh, getting, you know, getting it on a monthly plan and then, you know, probably returning it because there's no way I can justify even on a monthly plan spending $2,000 on this. I have a big rule because I've been covering tech for 15 years that... I only buy devices when absolutely necessary because my budget really doesn't allow me to do to do to buy mm. devices on a regular basis. It's just not it's just not practical. Um, so I you know I bought an iPhone 10 when it launched because Apple does not send me devices anymore because I'm no longer editing gadget, um, and I felt that was the most important iPhone since the four. Yeah, and but I sure. haven't bought an iPhone since because I just don't feel like the uh, 10s and 10r are anything much you know more significant than than the 10 was i think the 10 was a huge milestone um and you know so this is a huge milestone maybe i can justify uh getting it 
on launch day just to get you some coverage and some impressions here on the show and on my YouTube channel. We'll see how it goes. Um, still more excited about the design of the Mate X, but the Mate X right now is vaporware. I mean, we know it's coming. We just don't know when. And the price seems even crazier. Yeah. And then there's a wear and tear issues. And, you know, and tell me what you think of this, Martin. But I'm a little concerned that Huawei is going to be ex able to execute on the software side because they just always are lacking on the software side. That If there's something I do not enjoy about Huawei and Honor phones, it's the MUI. I mean, I know it's fine. It's gotten way better over the years. It's perfectly fine. You can put a launcher on there now on a like Gboard and you're good to go, like Nova and Gboard or something. Yeah. But I still feel that they're not quite as polished. Like, I think Samsung's One UI is not f perfect, but it's huge, hugely better than anything Samsung's done before, right? Yeah, I... I also have to agree on this, that um, I used to be not a huge fan of Samsung software, but I, I always thought it was okay. I never, never really liked any version of EMUI. Uh, but now with uh, One UI on Samsung, I actually, I'm actually okay with it. I'm, I'm at peace. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, superior to whatever, but um, I think it's fine. So yeah. I have, I have some, I, I feel like somehow Samsung has kind of figured it out as an organization, you know, so software more or less figured it out and, and how important uh, software UX is and they're, they, seem, they seem to get it. So I, I trust them with the software definitely more than I trust Huawei with the software. So yeah, I think in terms of hardware, Huawei is still winning here because their hardware seems sexier and more sophisticated and more polished. But at the same time, you know, we haven't, I certainly haven't played with it. There's a few select journalist friends of mine who have had a chance to play with it and feel it in hand, but I haven't. And so I have no point of reference on either the Fold or the Mate X in terms of handling it. Um, and what I'm seeing of the Fold right now is very promising. So look, this is exciting. I think, tell me what you think of this, Martin. I Is this a pivotal point in this phone world? Or are we going to just like look at this in the future and go, ah, oh, whatever, that was, you know, an utter failure. I kind of feel it is pivotal. I think this I think is going to stick. Totally pivotal. Yeah, I think right? I think we'll go through multiple variations. We'll slowly figure out with the material science. We'll figure out how screens can work without scratching, uh, how the creases can be avoided or made smaller, how the cameras, you know, where to put the cameras uh, on the phones, and like all of these things. Or, or if you have a screen on the outside, how big the bezels around it are. All of these things are fundamentally solvable problems. It's like all the problems that we have are are solvable, and the the benefit of having a large like it, it, of course the benefit of having a large screen. Everybody always wants to have a larger screen for content consumption for for uh, uh, video calling. I mean, just take a photo. Like, just look at people taking the photos. The viewfinder, their... yeah, the viewfinder yeah. alone has got me excited. People love taking photos with their iPads, even though it looks stupid. They love it because <laughs> you can actually see the thing that you're taking a photo of. And you, you know, it's people like, of course, people want a bigger screen. Of, of course, if you make it, you know, reasonably priced eventually, which I mean, of course, these are going to come down in price eventually. If you make it reasonably priced, and you get rid of all of these weird early quirks. I, I see no reason why you wouldn't want to have a big screen in a pocket that you can just take with you everywhere. Unfold. Yeah, absolutely. So I really think this is going to stick. I think that this yeah. 
is a pivotal point, which is another reason why I'm kind of breaking my rule of not buying devices potentially with this one, because I feel like I need to be there for this. It's like, you know, I bought a Tesla Model 3 because I've, as, as a car enthusiast, I felt like in a tech interview, I felt like this is this is my chance to really experience the future today. And I don't regret it. It was it's been really fantastic. Um it's expensive, but it's been really fantastic. So let's see how it how we fare with the fold. And uh I'm stoked. But you know, you you pointed out something really interesting. We saw at MWC that Alcatel, TCL, uh Blackberry, that whole TCL group yeah. um showed that they are working on everybody's working on folding phones of course but that their their goal is to come out with this in a couple of years once it's more affordable and i think that's cool because that means that we already have some companies out there not looking to be first but looking to be affordable in this field and then we have moto right with the motor that rumors motor, rumored moto razor which i think is going to be really cool because it's a completely different form factor take on the same folding thing right right I mean, what do you think of that? Would you want like something that's the size of a Razer V3, um, but has instead of a keypad, a screen on the other side, uh, and and is one continuous, you know, folding display? Um, I think it looks cool. Uh, maybe maybe it doesn't appeal to me because I'm a guy and I have guy-sized pockets, so I can easily <laughs> pocket a yeah. you know a, a phone the size of a Galaxy S10 or whatever. Uh, so to me. I mean, the phone doesn't have to be smaller than 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 a normal phone is now. Uh, right. I'd rather no, have the phone like phone size and then go double in size when it unfolds to a tablet. So to me specifically, um, I prefer this this uh, style that we have with uh, the uh, the fold now uh, with yeah, the Mate yeah. X. But uh, I can see that maybe some people would like to have a smaller device overall. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Think something that's the size of a Razer V3 when it's closed and when you, also when it's open. But that, you know, you can deal with, there's a small display in the front. You can deal with basics like answering calls, seeing the weather, your notifications, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then you can flip it open and now you have the real estate of what we have on a Galaxy S10, right? Yeah. So it's the reverse of it. It's like, instead of going up in size from a Galaxy S10, you know, from a 6.4 inch, a standard 6.4 inch, you know, flagship, you go down in size, right? Like you, you are now being able to pocket it better because even though it's thicker, it's a slightly smaller rectangle in your pocket. And I mean, if you look at those phones, we've had those, we had those phones in our pockets forever, right? I mean, <laughs> I personally wasn't a big fan of uh, flip phones, but they were super popular in the US and in Asia, right? So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's interesting. I, I think that the more the merrier is always what I say when it comes to form factors. So even if they don't stick, but I think this is going to stick. I think this, this folding stuff, especially the start at a regular size phone and grow to a larger size phone, what the fold is showing us today, what the Mate X is going to be providing us tomorrow is, you know, what we want. And yeah, so I, I want it. I can't wait. Sure. Um, switching gears. What do you think of talking about the Qualcomm Apple thing? Because that dropped after I put together the show notes, but I feel it's so significant. And then the Intel news that came after. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have, um, I mean, too much to say about it because uh, I haven't had the time to really dig into it yet. But I mean, it's, it's huge news. So here's my takeaway, and just quickly. Number one, 
good it's good news that they resolved their their fight um number two it's very surprising that it's clear that apple caved in number three uh it's not clear whether intel uh, announced that they're going to stop pursuing 5g modems for phones after apple and qualcomm settled or if that's the reason apple and qualcomm settled so we'll have to figure that out the timing of it's really interesting is what i'm saying and four i think this is going to be a plus for the 5g industry or for the growth of 5g in general apple is a huge player and right now they're going they were going to be stuck with intel modems of questionable performance to say the least with potentially no millimeter wave which is going to be the a big deal in the us even though it's useless short term in the long term i think is going to become a thing and so without millimeter wave it would mean that we wouldn't see iphones with 5g for another two years i think now we have a chance to see iphones with 5g maybe in 2020 uh, for the the you know not this not this coming up iphone but the one after because by then i think qualcomm will have uh really streamline the modems and the antennas even further so I, i'm super stoked to see them work this out and also because honestly every iphone i've ever owned that had a qualcomm radio in it including my iphone 10 which i specifically purchased the qualcomm version of instead of the intel version of the performance is so significantly better on 4g that to me it's obviously clear that you know, the leaders today in modem technology are Qualcomm and Huawei and, and Intel's not even in the game, you know? Yeah, but uh, my only question is, do you think that Intel dropping out of the game means that Qualcomm has a quasi-monopoly and they don't even have to try it really hard? Because, I mean, their only competitor at this point that I know of is uh, Huawei with their own uh, in-house uh, modems, uh, which yeah, so it's far a very we only dangerous think, thing. Yeah, the, we think that for some reason, Apple couldn't take those chips, either because Huawei wouldn't sell it to them, or because the price wasn't right, or because they're not easy to integrate, or because there's security concerns. Or no, this is a political thing. You have to understand that, you know, as, as much as Apple's been pushing back against our crazy regime here in the US, as you've seen them do, they also have to kind of get along with it, because, you know, you can't argue with crazy people, right? Crazy people in power, especially. Well, I, I, I get that, but I think uh, regardless of what the reason was, uh, probably you're right, but regardless of what the reason was, it, it means that Huawei modems are not an option for a lot of companies like Apple and like I imagine other phone makers as well, uh, which means that Qualcomm is really alone here. And uh, does that mean that on the long term it could slow down the innovation i think you're right there's a huge there's your risk huge risk there here's my thing you have to understand is that huawei doesn't really have millimeter wave ready yet they say they do but we haven't seen it right okay so that's the challenge like the most of the world for 5g is going sub six but the us is absolutely going millimeter for whatever reason you know they're also going sub six but they're really pushing the millimeter uh technology first and who's on board with that Verizon and AT&T, the two biggest carriers in the US. So is T-Mobile and Sprint, but T-Mobile and Sprint are much more, I think they're going to launch on six, sub six first. So what does that mean? That means that in order to, you know, keep those relationships, they operate, you have to supply devices that work on millimeter, which is why Samsung is using the X50 modem 
with a Snapdragon 855 on the S10 5G and uh, some variant of the Fold in the future. By the way, that's really interesting. As an aside, we haven't heard anything in the last couple of days. Nobody's asked that question, it seems. Where is the 5G version of the Fold? Nobody's mentioned 5G at all in this did, device. Did they mention 5G during the launch? I don't remember. Yes, they did. they did. And in fact, we have live 5G networks in the US that this device could work on right now. So, oh, I see. So that's the interesting thing. Now, we have, when I say we have live 5G, we have a different, we have like five poles with <laughs> antennas on them in Chicago and in um, another place, can't remember now, uh, in the middle of the country. Um, and so, you know, you can get like 600 plus megabits per second by being near the pole. It's really not 5G. I mean, it, it, it is, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just not, it's, technically it's just for show. 5G. It's, it's for show. Yeah. Um, uh, we covered this on last week's show. Um, a couple of weeks ago, sh uh, a bunch of media went to Chicago and used that weird Moto Mod 5G yeah, modem addition. Videos and tested 5g in chicago and it was very spotty but when it was there it was really good mm. so look here's the thing you have to understand martin and, and i think this is this is terrible but it's the way it's it's the way the us is the us has traditionally been a very protectionist country when it comes to technology you know back in the days when gsm was being mastered masterminded by the european union you know i grew up in france i'm a european as much as i am i'm a citizen as much of that country as much as i am of the us mm. so i've seen both sides and when GSM was being rolled out, you know, the Americans freaked out. They're like, we don't, we, the Amer Europeans are coming out with the digital voice cellular technology. We don't really have anything. We need to create something to compete with them because we don't want to adopt their system because we're protectionist at the core. So Qualcomm and Moto worked on what we eventually knew as CDMA 2000, which is not the same as WCDMA, which is HSPA. UMTS, right? Yeah. And that is why for a long time, you know, and still today, some phones work on legacy networks in the US, like Verizon and Sprint are the only networks left with uh, some towers that are using the standard from the early 90s. Um, eventually evolved into a 3G standard, um, but GSM came into North America through Canada, right? Canadians, I'm also a Canadian citizen. Oh, wow, you're you're all over the place. Yeah, we're the disruptors. So what happened was the GSM networks were um, kind of perfect for urban environments and Canada wasn't quite as in bed with Moto and Qualcomm. So uh, some entrepreneurs in Canada said, hey, why don't we bring that European technology, GSM, to Toronto and Vancouver markets for business people? It's the only place they'll be able to use the phones, but the experience will be significantly better because it worked better in urban environments, GSM, back then. Whereas most of North America and CDMA 2000 was really created for like cells that are spaced really far apart in, in, in uh, more rural areas because the country is really big. Uh, and they wanted to cover the entire country. So they came, they basically got Ericsson to be, to be, build some base stations and some phones that were compatible with the frequencies that are allowed to be used in North America, which are not the same as in Europe. And that's how we went from, you know, dual band GSM to try to quad band because we had two bands that were just a little off of your bands. Like instead of 900, 1800, we had 800, 1900, right? Mm. And the these networks took off they were so first of all we had text messaging which didn't exist in cdma 2000 in the early days and and 
and we had a whole bunch of other things on GSM that were there, you know, uh, the, the ability to do, uh, uh, you know, data, uh, without using a closed circuit, but actually using packets, uh, all that stuff made it that some carriers eventually adopted GSM in the U S. So basically what this urban GSM networks evolved and went down to the U S from Canada in certain select markets, because that, back then there were millions of, of operators, like in every city, there were different operators. And so eventually those gelled into two big blobs, AT&T, right? And T-Mobile. They're the two GSM networks. They mm -hmm. it kind of, East, West Coast was T-Mobile and, and East Coast was AT&T basically. And then Verizon and Sprint were all over the country with CDMA. And so the end result of that is that we've always been very protectionistic, right? About, and, and if you look at it, Moto and Qualcomm have always worked together on the next iteration of technology. And with LTE, what happened was um, there was nobody, no, nobody at, at Qualcomm and Moto could do it better in-house with their own tech. And so LTE was adopted as a, basically a, an evolution of GSM standards um, in the same way as it was in the rest of the world, which is why this, it was a big deal because for once we were lining up with the rest of the world. Hmm. But with 5G, you know, we're still lining up. But at the same time, our bands are so different and stuff that, you know, Qualcomm has the advantage with millimeter. Ultra wideband is their thing. They're really strong at the technology. So they're like, how can we have a competitive edge for a little while with 5G? We can have it if the carriers go ultra wideband millimeter. So that's what Verizon AT&T are doing, right? And because they're obviously working together with, you know, Nokia Siemens, uh, or Ericsson or whatever the, the 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 network equipment provider that they have, and with with Qualcomm, right? And so that's there's always been this weird Qualcomm Moto carrier blob. Yeah. So so that's what's happening here, and it's very different than Europe. And so as a result, Apple needs to have millimeter wave. Like they're gonna need it within a year or two. And Samsung already has it because they're working with Qualcomm and with Verizon and AT and T. And then, you know, Huawei comes in and their belong or whatever it's called modem, I think right now it's, it's only sub six. So what do they do? You know? Yeah. Like, but I mean, if they're not, if they're not selling too many phones in the U S anyway, then I guess it's not that big of an issue. It's not, but imagine if it, like this whole, you were talking about this whole Apple Huawei potential yeah. agreement, right? Yeah, yeah. I that see would that have they're been, not, a, not a viable option for that. Right. Not only would it have been politically dangerous for Apple. Yeah. But at the time they were fighting with Qualcomm, so it was kind of possible. Uh, but at the same time, there's a the whole issue of like, does Huawei have something that will work with Verizon and AT&T? Can, can they make something that will work? Probably. Will it work as well as Qualcomm, who pretty much spearheaded the whole thing since day one? I doubt it, right? Most patents on this are owned by Qualcomm on yeah. millimeter and ultra wideband. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of intellectual property kind of like nationalistic battles going on here behind the scenes, you know, as much as I love Qualcomm and, and, and I love, you know, Apple and, and I love all these companies, all of them are contributing to technology and to making our lives better, especially I think Qualcomm's done a lot for that. I still feel that the politics behind all this, this kind of protectionist stuff that's happening is, is very icky, you know? I really just wish things, people would just get along and co collaborate worldwide more, you know? Yeah. But that's because I grew up in Europe and that's how I see the world, you know? <laughs> see the world as a big, happy collab, but they don't. Yeah, so. that would be very unlike big business.
Yeah, I think uh, capitalism is not going to make that happen uh, or let that happen. So listen, I want to switch to uh, the next topic. And I don't know. Do you have a G8 from LG? Uh, I didn't get one, but I, I was playing around with it uh, quite a bit uh, in during MWC. You did a video after MWC about LG. Do you want to share your kind of your thoughts on this whole LG gesture, whatever thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I can share my thoughts of, of uh, you know on the uh, the G8 in general uh, and also what they're what they're doing. Uh, I think so. My video was uh, that LG's kind of returning to weird innovation. I think that was the title, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think it's like a like LG is in this dance of of uh, you know changing uh, CEOs and changing leadership and c- kind of not knowing which direction to run into because each new leadership introduces a slightly different uh, management style and direction for the company, and it's a bit of a back and forth. So I think in the past they had like pretty, uh, you know, crazy ideas on phones. Like they had the flex, they had uh, like leather on phones. They had they had a bunch of things that that were a bit out there. Uh, but then they they got this new uh, leadership uh, previously, uh, which was supposed to turn things around and make things things simpler and focus on the A B C D the the audio battery camera display, you know, just do the basics right. And then it will just work. And then it turned out it didn't work <laughs> because, uh, just doing a phone, uh, these days is uh, apparently not, not, not a thing. Uh, it's not enough to maintain a, a big global brand like LG. So they, uh, got rid of that leadership uh, and then they have new leadership. And I think this new leadership thinks that they need, you know, some, selling points on their phones beyond just uh, having phones that are good enough. Um, and that creates weird uh, weird end results like this uh, hand gesture recognition. But uh, honestly, uh, I, feel like, I feel like the G8 is such a frustrating phone because I think once again, LG has created a phone that is actually a very good phone. Uh, I think uh, they've actually addressed basically all of most of the shortcomings of previous lg flagships that i've had uh so they finally put a reasonable size battery in there finally the cameras seem really good they they might not beat you know the p30 or maybe the pixel but they're uh, about in line with the galaxy s10 or, or they, well, they're definitely up there uh, i think they're better than the galaxy s10 honestly i think the and the, i agree with you on battery life yeah so so finally finally the two things that were missing uh from lg phones from me uh, apart from maybe software updates, like, uh, everything else in, in terms of hardware, I think I think there's nothing wrong with the device. Uh, if if there was a checklist and I and I, were, I was to go through it, I think I think it would hit every every uh, I'd check everything off. You know, you have uh, finally a great display. I think LG's gotten really good at making OLEDs finally. Um, finally, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, it took them time, but I mean they're there, right? They have yeah, they absolutely. have an audio the display jack. Display is gorgeous. Yeah, they have an audio jack. They have uh, good audio. Obviously, they've always had that. They have an SD card. They have waterproofing, NFC. It's it's all there, but somehow the company just can't make the device exciting. Like, it, and it's also a design thing. It's very absolutely. boring. Like it's very beautifully made. Like the attention to detail. I wrote this in my review on Geekspin. Is really high. Yeah, it's very beautifully made, but 
it's so boring to look at. It's it almost like people look at it and they think it's an iPhone 10, right, with that yeah. notch. And that's and that seems to be you know they seem to be happy with that at LG. And I, I think today that was true a year or two ago. Like even the Pixel cannot no longer stand. I feel, and I talked about this on the show last week with Vlad. It's like I feel that Pixel Four has to bring some pizzazz and design to the table. It can't just be a uh, window into the software like Apple's been doing. Uh, because that's not what people expect at this point. People want weird form factors, you know, cut punch, you know, punch holes in the display. They want something different and unique. And, and, you know, I don't think uh, Google has delivered that in the pixels uh, so far. They've delivered a great camera experience and a, and a good software experience. Um, you know, if they continue charging the prices they're charging, they need, and if they've improved the quality of the materials in the build, I think with the, the Pixel 3 series versus the two, but I feel like design, I mean, that notch is horrendous on the XL and and they need to step it up. They also need to, um, you know, come up with more, like better specs. Four gigs of RAM doesn't cut it today. Like that's insane. Like I can't, my phone is slow all the time because it's, I think mm -hmm. it's RAM. And I think also the file system fragmenting, but that's always been an issue. And that's something Huawei is addressing, uh, you know, file system fragmentation. Um, but anyway, um, I agree with you. And the only thing about the G8 that's disappointing to me, that's truly disappointing, is that they spent money on this, uh, on these gimmicks. Basically, I think the Z camera is great, like the time having time of flight camera for unlocking and for for better portrait uh, selfies. That's really nice, but I feel that all the other gimmicks, like the palm ID and the gestures, were just it's it's wasted effort and time and energy and software that they could have spent on a better design to really differentiate themselves as a brand. And I think that might be coming with the new leadership because I think you're right; they're in the middle of leadership transition. It's really hard for them to do this, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, like, just imagine this phone, like, it, it is so frustrating to watch all of these reviews because there are two things that stick out all the time. First, everyone, everyone thinks that the Palm things are a gimmick. Like, obviously, they're a gimmick. Like, I, I don't, I don't think I know anyone who, who, who was impressed by them and they don't work very well, whatever. That's the biggest thing is honestly, to me, it's the reliability and the speed. If they were slightly faster and more reliable and consistent, I feel like, okay, it's a first step in the direction of some new user experience. If you have your hands dirty in the kitchen and you don't want to use voice, right? But when you use Google Assistant to do everything that the gestures let you do in less time with less effort, then why do you even bother with this, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I think, I think that's a gimmick, but... Also, you, you really don't have to use it. So like it doesn't make the phone worse that it's there. And at no, least the time no. of flight sensor gives you accurate face ID. And then the other thing that everyone uh, complains about is the price. But again, and, and I, I don't want to you know defend uh, LG here because it's their stupidity. But um, we all know that LG phones drop in price like nothing else on the market. Like I, the, the um, G7 is, I think, around 400 euros here. I remember the... Yeah, the I bought my G6 two years ago for three hundred something euros just a few months after it was released. So like these phones drop, you know, fifty percent of their price within two or three months of being released, which means that for the majority of the life cycle of the device, that's how much people actually pay for them. So if if LG just 
didn't launch this whole hand thing, nobody would have missed it and nobody would have been caught up, you know, by how gimmick it is. And if they had just entered with a launch price that is 100 euros cheaper, which is what it will be selling for two weeks after its release anyway, then I think everyone would have perceived this phone significantly better because my LG phones, because of the aggressive price drops, have been my go-to recommendation for non-techies since forever. I mean, you like the phones are the phones are great. They're they're really they're reliable. Yeah, uh, they don't yeah. get a lot of software updates, but non-techies couldn't care less about that. I think it exactly. might even be a plus for them if it, if their phone doesn't update. Uh, and and I think with the G8 especially, you have uh, fewer compromises than ever uh, on an LG phone. And honestly, as soon as this phone drops below 500 euros which i just know it will within like a month or two i will be this will be my go-to recommendation and i'll just tell people to never look at this hand recognition stuff and, <laughs> exactly uh, and i think that's uh it's 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 a really frustrating thing because even though um i find their phone so good and and so well-rounded uh, and, uh, and like an ideal a device for you know the average consumer or the non-techie buyer uh they just don't do themselves like they they don't like it's like they they're like hurting themselves <laughs> with their whole marketing and and with the the way they position these devices like i don't understand they 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 sell eventually they sell their phones for less than one plus sells their phones you know like their phones yeah. are eventually cheaper and they obviously have a lot of extra hardware uh, uh because they're you know in a sense, a more premium uh, uh, device. Device, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and it just it just really hurts me to see how like incompetently this whole thing is managed. But uh, anyway, I I think the G8 will be a really good recommendation once uh, the price drops. You know, I agree. I feel that um, this is one of the biggest problems that that LG has, and it's a marketing problem. By the way, in the US. The unlock price for the G8 is 700 US dollars, which already makes it more attractive than yeah. a Galaxy 10e, S10e. So I, I think the price is actually okay in the US. Uh, the carrier prices are stupid because T-Mobile sells it for 620 and Verizon sells it for 840, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, but, and this is where I was going with this is the biggest problem LG has is LG has to stop looking at their, at their customer being the operator and start looking at their customer being the the user, the end, the terminal buyer, the, the end, the end buyer, the end user. And, and Samsung did that transition. They got dragged into this kicking and screaming by Apple and now they get it. Now, you know, it's, of course, you're going to be able to find the phone with bloatware from all four us carriers and from European and Asian carriers. Of course you will buy it through them and it might be locked and it might have some slight variations in the software that's installed, but you can always from day one buy it unlocked and you look at the pricing in the US, it's consistent. Like the S10e is $750 US everywhere. Whether you buy it at Best Buy unlocked, BNH unlocked, Amazon unlocked, or you buy it from any of the carriers. And the carriers have these nice little plans where it lets you buy it over time, which I think is why people end up going back to their carrier for the phones. But LG somehow just negotiates with the carriers and gets this kind of completely inconsistent marketing because of it. And they don't look at the final customer 
and they don't emphasize and focus on the fast customer, you know, and it, for years it's been like that. And somehow I know they don't have the might that Samsung has, but it's a chicken and egg thing. If at some point they'd spoken up and said, you know what, if Samsung is going to do this, selling their phones at their terms, we're going to do the same carriers. And then the operators would have said, ah, we don't like you. We're not going to carry your phone. And LG would have been okay, whatever. Um, and eventually the carriers would have probably caved in because they want variety. And so I think it would have worked. I, I feel like they missed that opportunity. Now it's too late. Now they're not important enough. They're not selling well. They're in trouble financially, their division. So I don't think they can have that. They don't have that bargaining power. But I think around the time of the G2, G3, G4, they had that bargaining power and they didn't use it. In fact, the G3 still was a custom, slightly modified design for Verizon. Yeah. hardware wise like that's insane at, at that point samsung hadn't basically you know forced everyone into the same design uh of all the for the operators for three years already or something you know uh the galaxy s2 was the last phone in the u.s that was customized for each carrier um the S3 was the same for all of them and, and you know but it, the u.s has this history where the carriers used to run the show and they all all expected customized phones for each company based on the flagship they released abroad. It was crazy. And it feels to me like LG is still kind of bending into that in 2019. And then on top of that, their marketing sucks, right? And, you know, why, why focus on these gestures when they're not really good? Instead, why don't you focus on all the great things? As you said, the ABCDs you have and, and, and the, the fact that the phone is, is actually a really great phone, right? Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. it's frustrating. It's just it's just a very frustrating yeah. thing from the and speaking company of, perspective. It's, isn't it just as frustrating with with what's going on with Nokia and HMD right now? You did a really great video. I'm going to link it in the show notes <laughs> about this, about how Nokia is just pumping out too many phones, and it's I think starting to hurt them. Yeah. I, so the video I did is I, I have the Nokia Nine. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another one of those phones that I was uh, I. I I don't buy a lot of phones. Uh, I buy maybe one a year, uh, yeah, which is not a lot for for a tech YouTuber. Um, uh, but I was really excited about this phone because I felt like this was potentially uh, the first uh, quote unquote real flagship attempt uh, by Nokia from HMD, from yeah, at yeah. least by the yeah by HMD, the new Nokia, the new Nokia, uh, and I've always been a. Um, a big supporter of the the revived Nokia since it's since its start. Me too. I think this is a great story, and I think that they've done pretty well. But I'm worried about what's going to happen next, for the same reasons that you point out in your video. Yeah. So I, I was I was really excited about the phone uh, as a concept, uh, and then I I just wanted to see it uh, for myself. Uh, but honestly, this this phone is so unfinished, and I've had it for. Uh, I think three, four weeks now, and it still hasn't received an update. Uh, so uh, the the promise that you know it will just magically uh, get updates all the time, and then uh, they'll quickly fix all of the issues I have with it, it just hasn't happened at all. Um, and I I made a, a vi video that I think this is just the last last piece. Uh, um, I I've just seen so many signs that Nokia uh, or this HMD uh, as an organization has just gotten you know a little too big that they have just re released uh, uh, too many devices uh, there's confusing naming uh, uh, like some of the devices are 
in the 8 series, like the 8.1 here, but they're actually 7 series in other countries. Uh, the 8.1 is not a successor to the 8, it's a completely different device. Uh, there's a lot of devices that are that look basically the same, and it's unclear why one is um, costs more than the other. There's it's, The whole product portfolio is really confusing. Uh, and honestly, there have been so many software issues uh, with Nokia phones that like the, the whole point of the Android One strategy, one would assume, would be that you get this really easy, really reliable, really fast, really clean software experience. But actually, uh, even I, I don't want to bash them too much because they, they are doing a pretty good job keeping their phones up to date. But it's clear that they've started missing updates lately. It's clear that they have quality control issues. It is clear uh, that they have uh, bugs in, in various versions. Um, throughout their phones and it is clear that they had this uh, Nokia 7 Plus screw up that was uh, sending um uh some data to to a server in China uh, it, it is i think these are all just signs of a company that is actually really tiny the HMD team is still quite small um and they rely a lot on external partners and they 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 just have too many devices and they can't keep track of all of them they don't have the processes they don't have the manpower they're not Samsung to manage a portfolio of now, I think, 23 devices that all of, all of which they still have to, you know, keep up to date. Uh, so I, I think uh, even though I, I like a lot of things that Nokia is doing uh, since its revival, uh, and I, I, I think they've had a, a great run so far, it's clear that the issues are starting to creep in. And... Uh, you see that there's actually a, a slowdown in their business, or not really a slowdown, but their growth has basically stopped completely. The last year it has completely flatlined after it's a really, really fast uh, growth in the first year. Uh, they have this uh, supplier, FIH, which is part of uh, Foxconn. It was part of the original Nokia um, uh, acquisition. Um, and they have basically said that uh, uh, they're losing too much money on these Nokia phones. Uh, they will start refusing some orders and uh, Nokia will, uh, HMD will have to start looking for some new suppliers. So these are serious, uh, serious problems. There's, there's talk of downsizing throughout the company. Uh, people are getting fired. So um, I, think, I think it's time to focus. I think it's, it's time to... There's, there's a lot of goodwill towards Nokia. I, I definitely think they can turn this around. They have a strong brand. Uh, they have good partnerships. Uh, but it is, it is time to focus. It is time to put things out. I put phones out that are good right from the start, uh, that don't get bu uh, launched with really buggy software that don't send uh, data to uh, random servers in the world. Yeah, that's uh, kind of scary. Yeah, this is, uh, it's time to fix those things. For sure. I feel like you're, you're you know, all of this is right. I, I'm, my biggest issue with Nokia is, you're right, too many phones. I can't even keep track of them all and know the names. And, and number one, number two, uh, lots of bugs and issues. The Nokia 9 clearly has a lot of problems and is still very early on in its uh, software and seems like it was prematurely released. In fact, USPR is basically had a handful of devices, very, very limited that they gave to like the top YouTubers and tech uh, bloggers to review. I was not included and they no longer have more to give out because I think HMD the, the, at HQ is is pulling back saying, no, no, we don't want to give you more devices because the reviews have been bad. Yeah. Um, 
and and you know small publications like mine are, are kind of not getting you know we i could go out and buy one i guess but again i don't want to spend the money so it, it's like it's unfortunate because as a photography fan a mobile photography fan i really wanted to try it out and i would have you know lived with whatever bugs i'm you know i'm enough of a tech you know nerd to kind of like you know, work around call things. them out on it, but but yeah. be able to work around it. And for me, really, just a unique experience of this camera system that I want to try. So I'm still waiting for a unit. I hopefully will get one. But I feel like the PR message and the marketing message has also been very blurred, right? Like in at least for the US market, they've launched a few phones here, like the 6.1 and 7.1. They're great phones. The 5.1 as well, I think. And and they nobody knows about them. They're only sold unlocked. There's a few carrier deals with some of the budget carriers operators but it's it's like there's no direction it seems and they're very very regional in terms of their marketing and pr like you know i see a phone being announced in europe and i ping my pr folks and i'm like oh this is exciting can i get like the seven plus right yeah can i get that and they're like no sorry we can't get you one at all like we we have no way of getting you one and then i you know i reach out to the nokia pr folks that i have a relationship with and they're like sorry miriam we're in the us you have to deal with the us i'm like it's a global effing world like i have a lot of people watching my youtube and listening to my channel from india from china like why do you limit me to access these devices like i i know they're not going to be optimized for my networks and i accept that i just want to try them out so i can give people some thoughts and it's it's really frustrating that a company that has the history of Nokia, even though this is the new Nokia HMD, that, you know, is a worldwide global and player doesn't understand that their PR and marketing needs to be a global, global worldwide thing. Um, then on top of that, you know, you have, you know, the inability to get devices because I think honestly, the only reason we can get Nokia 9s as reviewers right now is because the initial reviews weren't very good and they only had few and they don't want to allocate more. Yeah. And it's, it's a bummer because I know a lot of, YouTubers and tech journalists had bought their own because they couldn't get one. And now, and they all came to the same conclusion. It's, it's great. We like it. We want it to be good, but there are issues and these issues are not getting fixed, at least not fast enough. And now I feel like I, feel like I wasted $500, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's okay. my stance as well. Yeah. And so I think it's really, they. I agree that why don't you make three or four phones a year? Like, you know, make a low, super low end one that you can sell in developing markets, you know, Android um, Go or whatever. Make, make a, a, you know, a flagship, make a, a really solid mid-range, you know, that uh, it can compete with like the Moto G7 and, you know, the G series from Moto. And then make like one in between that, you know, for con- like countries like India or whatever that are that can absorb a little bit more cost than that a basic less um, sub 100 sub 50 you know dollar uh, device and maybe make it out of 200 bucks you know like maybe a 50 dollar or 75 dollar device and a 200 dollar device and like a 350 and then a 550 600 dollar device do that every year and you know continue making your super cheap Future phones for the world. I love the idea that I can buy a phone for 10 euros and make calls and listen right. to FM radio and take some photos. It's great. And have a flashlight. And a flashlight. <laughs> most important, yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way as you. It's, it's tough. Um, uh, I don't know what to do about it. We have a little bit of time left, and I want to kind of poke your brain briefly about the Huawei P30 Pro and P30, mostly the P30 Pro. Do you have one? What do you think of it? What's your general kind of like, you know, vibe on this whole thing that was launched a month ago? I uh, don't have one. I think Huawei particularly doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, 
but I I think it's a really nice device. Uh, I, I have you played with it? I have not. I've I've only seen the video, so I don't I don't want to say too many things about it because I'm sure that there are people better qualified than me okay. to talk about it. But uh, I I like it as a phone. I really think that. Um, it is the imaging king. Um, it is not maybe as consistent as uh, mashing the button on a Pixel 3, but um, you have so much more flexibility and creativity options, and it's still pretty damn solid at mashing the button. Uh, so, you know, I think um, what I love is how refined Huawei's hardware has become. It is, you know, the software, is, as, as we mentioned earlier, is still a little iffy for me. It's manageable. I can get over it, but it's not the best. But man, the hardware. That hardware just feels like... Of all the flagship phones that I have in my hand and have all of the current ones except for the Galaxy Fold, I have to say that the Huawei P30 and P30 Pro, not even the Pro, you can go with the P30 here, are so amazingly well-made and beautifully designed. And they they stand out um, not because they're very different, but they're just like little details in the design, like the flat edges on the top and bottom, things like that. The displays could be better on both. I mean, they're perfectly fine OLEDs, but 1080p on the high-end one is a little disappointing after the Mate 20 Pro. Um, I don't like the curved edges on the phones. They're too curved. Uh, I'm definitely not a big fan of the Samsung curved edge screen thing. I really like the P30 because of that, also because it has a headphone jack. I honestly think that right now, if you're looking at buying one of these two, if you're a photo freak, buy the P30 Pro, spend the money. If you want, if you are a bit less of a photo freak, but you want a really well-rounded package, the P30 is your is your ticket. It is 200 euros cheaper and generally now available even in the US for 700 on Amazon. Um, 700 US dollars, 750 I think is the price I saw, which is amazing. Um, it has a camera system that beats the Mate 20 Pro and it has a headphone jack and a display that haven't kept curved edges. And at 6.1 inch, it fits in hand much better, just like the G8 does. I love that about the G8. It really feels great in hand. I think 6.1 is the sweet spot right now if you want yeah, a phone with these tall, that with these tall feels guys. great. So that's my take on it. I mean, I've already covered it extensively on the show, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, rumors quickly about the OnePlus 7. We're hearing of some event sometime mid-May. That might be where um, OnePlus launches the phone. Uh, there are rumor of multiple phones, uh, a OnePlus 7, a OnePlus 7 Pro, and a OnePlus 7 5G. What's your take on all this? What do you think we're going to see? Because I know that you have a kind of a good understanding of the uh, BBK, Oppo, Vivo, OnePlus universe. Um, what's your take on what we're going to What do you think we're going to see here? Yeah. Um... I, I think I think I'm just generally I, I don't want to speculate too much because uh, again the, these are just rumors and uh, I I don't know what else to add to them but I, I, what what I'm excited about is that we're seeing a, a, a series right so it's not a single device but a, it's a series and I mm-hmm. think to me this uh, signals a couple of things uh, first of all it means that Huawei, uh, that uh, OnePlus just has uh, a bigger budget. Uh, and and I think this is a trend that I, we've been observing uh, over time, that within the you know the BBK universe, uh, OnePlus is being given more and more power and more and more uh, say, and and they can do uh, bigger things uh, with each uh, each release basically. Um, so I think um, 
having a series uh, is exciting for that reason. It also means that I think uh, OnePlus will start, um, as I predicted uh, a long time ago, they'll start to try to address different types of consumers. Uh, so they'll want to move past just um, addressing you know, the typical smartphone nerd, uh, who I think right. has been their target audience for, for a long time. But with these different device types, uh, I think they'll they'll have uh, maybe one that is for their core audience and then another one which is for a more casual audience. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the third thing that I, I, I'm thinking is that they're, uh, they're, what, what they're really trying to do is uh, trying to push their, their ASPs, their ever-selling uh, prices up. Uh, because this way you can have a really expensive phone and and you know just brush it off by saying oh well that's just the pro the normal is you know not that much <laughs> yeah, more expensive totally. than the yeah. than the uh, than the previous model uh, and yet you know the pro is gonna I think I I think cost uh, cost wise it'll be somewhere in line with uh, you know maybe the S10e or or you know some, somewhere creeping up into the you know very premium uh, territory um, indeed. And I think I think it's just a smart play. Uh, we we made a, a video with uh, Aaron from Mister Who's the Boss on OnePlus's um, pricing strategies. Uh, so if anybody wants to see that, you can you can Google uh, or you can just search YouTube for it. And then what we've been saying is that like OnePlus has very cleverly uh, been playing around with these um, you know these exclusive devices like the McLaren Edition or the whatever to um, you know, put this in, in in people's brains that it's okay for a OnePlus device to be expensive. Oh, it's just a one-off this time. Oh, now it's just a pro model. Uh, and, and you just start going uh, down this rabbit hole and then you end up with it being just generally accepted for a OnePlus phone to be expensive. <laughs> so I think this is what, yeah. this is the play yeah. that, they, that they have. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think OnePlus phones have been great for a long time. Um, so I, I I'm very positive that that these will be good too. Also, uh, as we know, OnePlus bases a lot of their uh, design on on Oppo stuff. I think uh, this means that OnePlus Seven will have a lot in common with the Oppo Reno that was released. Or Reno, I don't know how to pronounce it. Reno, yeah. Uh, Reno. I mean, we're going by because there's a city in the U.S. called Reno. That's oh, okay. what we call it that. But it might not meant it might be pronounced differently. Yeah. Okay, um, so I think the Oppo Reno is actually a really nice-looking device, uh, uh, and I think that means uh, if the OnePlus Seven will have a lot to do with it, uh, I believe hardware-wise, OnePlus Seven will be great. I I've uh, I I worked for Oppo. If anybody doesn't know that, I used to work for Oppo. Um, That's what I was saying when I said you have a pretty good understanding of the BBK universe. <laughs> yeah. So Oppo has always had fantastic hardware. They've always been uh, incredibly good about manufacturing and QA and and I think like the little design polish things, uh, even though I think in the past they had a few designs that were a little too inspired by the iPhone. I, I think they've managed to outgrow that and they've always been fantastic at hardware. And, and honestly, this has been, uh, I think, a huge blessing for the OnePlus guys because... Um, just having this incredibly reliable partner that manufactures and most probably also designs most of their hardware, um, it's it's just it's just great. Uh, then they can put really good software on top of that, and it, it's it's hard to go wrong at wrong at that point. 
No, I agree. I, I feel very strong about uh, the entire BBK universe. I feel that the OnePlus of Garcia is, is the phone that you easily can get in the US now that it's sold by T-Mobile, the 6T. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, the OnePlus 7 uh, is going to continue that. Um, we're going to see another T-Mobile partnership. Uh, maybe we're gonna it's going to expand to more operators here. But I love Oppo phones. I love Vivo phones. Um, and but definitely Oppo, I'm a big fan. I feel that they are really, you know, like Huawei, these 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 colorful glass backs that are, you know, some of them matte glass and stuff. It's really cool. This is what I'm talking about. You know, we were talking about G8 being boring. This is what I mean. Yeah, it's like I, I where agree. are the cool colors? Even Samsung, while remaining pretty conservative in the sense that they know most people buy black black phones, boring phones, they still came out in the US with the US operators with colors that are pretty cool looking, you know? I agree. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited about what we're gonna see from OnePlus. Um, I'll definitely get you the coverage, I'll be around. Um, I'm sure I'll get invited to all the things because we're pretty tight. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's coming up. We've got basically a bunch of really exciting things coming up. There's uh, Honor is going to launch a phone apparently in London on the 21st uh, of May, um, the Honor 20. And then there is, of course, OnePlus at some point mid-May, I guess. And then there's going to be Google on uh, Google I.O. on uh, May what is it, 7th, 8th, 9th. So we might be seeing those Pixel 3As that we heard about. Uh, come around that time. So I think this is going to be an exciting month of May and we should all stay tuned and, and voraciously watch our screens for content and tech porn, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we should wrap it up. Um, I want you to tell the world, the universe, the people where to find you on the internet, your Twitter, your Instagram, all these things, uh, your, your YouTube channel as well. Uh, I'm Tech Altar everywhere. So that's tech and then A-L-T-A-R. That is YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Those are my three main channels. Well, you should definitely listen to uh, to Martin's YouTube channel videos. They're pretty insightful. Lots of really great analysis. I feel maybe you should rebrand yourself from being a journalist to being an analyst. Yeah. I've, Have you thought of that, Martin? Yeah, I never really because called myself feels... a journalist, but I, I, do, I do see myself more as an analyst these days. Uh, so sure. maybe less of a YouTube creator and more of an analyst and although you are a youtube creator obviously but i'm just saying yeah. it's just a thought um you know where to find me folks i'm at tankerl on twitter and instagram that's t-n-k-g-r-l like tankerl the comic book but without the vowels um you know that i have a youtube channel called um, youtube.com slash miriam my just my name spelled out it's really the complement to this uh to this podcast so it's like a mobile tech podcast channel but if you're wondering how to spell my name and add that to the youtube.com, just go to my Twitter and you'll see my full name. So just full name spelled out, no spaces, youtube.com slash Miriam Joire. Please, please tell your friends about the YouTube. I'm trying to grow it. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the videos. They're unboxing, hands-on, some interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, visual compliment to the podcast. Subscribe, like the videos, all that good stuff. And if you stumbled upon this podcast by accident and you're wondering how to subscribe, mobiletechpodcast.com is where you'll find the RSS feed. But more importantly, we're on all the big platforms, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, Overcast, TuneIn Radio, a bunch of others. So definitely uh, find us there, subscribe. And I want to add, I, I don't say this, but it's pretty obvious, I thought, but somebody said, you know, you should let people know. If you want to interact with me, since you cannot comment on the podcast, 
Just, just talk to me on Twitter, right? Ask me questions, bug me, and I will reply. I love Twitter and I love interacting with people there. So please, please, please think of Twitter as the comment thread for these podcasts. Uh, finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is the place for audiobooks. If you want to read books, but you for some reason cannot visually read them on e-paper or real paper, you need to maybe listen to them because you're driving a car all day or something, Audible.com is where you should go because they have an incredible selection. A lot of the books are read by the authors, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, overall, you just can't go wrong, especially when you can get a deal, a 30-day free trial uh, that will support this podcast. Uh, if you look in the show notes, you will see the link for that 30 day free trial that will support the podcast. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. You can uh, type that in right now. Uh, if you don't already have an audible subscription, I strongly suggest you try it out, especially if you're an avid bookworm, but somehow you cannot actually read, read, uh, you want to listen instead. So that's it. And I want to thank Audible for being a longtime sponsor of the show. Martin, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. We'll definitely have you on in the future. And uh, we'll keep watching your lovely videos. In the meantime, stay tuned for another show next week, folks. And we'll see you then. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.